Luke 2, 22 through 40. I know that we went over some of this last week, but as I was praying about what to preach on, I, I just had to go back because I felt like I needed to recover some of this stuff from a different angle. So, Luke 2, 22 through 40. Training. And I read in Jesus' name. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to thank, give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let us pray. Father, as we come now to study your word, Lord, I ask that you would bless us that we might apply it into our lives. Lord, that we might be changed, that we might become more like Christ. Father, that you would sanctify us through your word. Father, for your word is true. We Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, last week as I was preaching through this, stay, Um, at least something obeys me. (laughs) Obviously, my children aren't here today, so something. Um, as I was preaching through this text, and I, I had said that there's, there's just so much here to look at, and then I talked about Simeon, and I, I just felt that it, it, wasn't, it wasn't complete. I wasn't satisfied with that. Uh, why, why was the stuff added about Simeon? You know, why is Simeon righteous? Why does it matter? Why does it matter that... Um, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Why is that added? You know, because the book of Luke is exactly one scroll long. So why is the book of Luke as long as it is? Well, that was the size of a scroll. It was a standard size. You know, it's like a 9, nine by 11. This was, or an 8.5 by 11. We have some 9 by 11 sheets, which is really annoying at home, because they don't fit in anything. Um, not standard. But here, Luke's The book of Luke and the book of Acts, they are the same length. It's the size of one scroll. And so if Luke feels that this was important, why? Why even add that 
sentence? Why tell us about Simeon? And I talked about what it meant last week. And I'll talk about that a little bit again today. But what does it mean? What's going on? Why does it matter? Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, what, what does it mean for someone to be righteous and devout? If you're living a righteous life, what sort of life are you living? Are you living a life the way that Dr. Phil, is he not around anymore? Dr. Axe? Dr. Oz? What are all these doctors? Dr. Lindy? Um, <laughs> he's not on TV yet. Yet. Um, he just has to sell his soul and no. Uh, but, like, is, is that a righteous life? Is it a righteous life if I live the way that the media tells me to live? Is it a righteous life if I live according to RuPaul? Ru, not Rand Paul, RuPaul? Yeah. You know, is that a righteous life? No, that's, that's not what righteousness is. We wouldn't call that righteous. Righteous is living according to a standard. Not just someone's standard. God's standard. That's what a righteous life is. Living according to God's standard. Righteous and devout. Meaning, uh, well, I was reading a little bit of Soren Kierkegaard this week. He's a Danish philosopher. And he was talking about a pure heart. What's a pure heart? A pure heart is a heart that is focused on one thing. It's devout. You're devoted to one thing. It's not polluted with all of this other stuff. Soren Kierkegaard was a Lutheran too, by the way. He was a Christian. But he was, he was looking at that and he said, what's purity of heart? It's that it's not polluted with everything else. But it is singularly focused. It's devoted. What was Simeon's position before God? It was a position of humility, wasn't it? Position of submission to God. He's not bringing in all of this other stuff. He's not looking at all of these other people. He's not trying to live kind of according to God's life, but, you know, kind of according to some of those pagan religions out there like the Romans. Because, you know, their stuff with Jupiter, that was pretty cool, right? And so we should take some of that and we can add that in and make this amalgamation. That's not righteousness. That's not devoted. That's impure. And so Simeon, his position before God was a position of submission to God. It's God who he's going to trust. It's God that he's going to live by. How do you know how to live your lives? Well, someone somewhere along the line has told you or showed you this is the way you interact with a wife. This is the way you interact with a husband. This is the way you interact with children. You know, this is the way you interact with your government. This is how you do this. Someone somewhere along the line has told you that. Well, if you're righteous and devout, that means that you're looking to God to direct Okay, God, how do I interact with my wife? How do I interact with my children? How do I interact with my government? How do I interact with myself? How do I interact with my money? How do I interact with my free time? If you're righteous and devout, how do I interact with my job? Do I work seven days a week, 24 hours a day? Is that righteous? No, because that's not according to the will of God, word of God. Do I work as little as possible to just get by? No. That's not righteous either, is it? And so it's submitting yourself to the will and to the word of God as he reveals it. And so what's our position before God? It's the position of a servant. It's a position of one that's submitted to God. 
And that's what Simeon is here. And that's what we're being called to do as well. And he's waiting. How many of you are very, very patient? Anybody here? Uh, I'll put my hand down too. I'd sit on it if I could. But he's waiting. So what's his position before God? Not only as one who is submitted to God's will for the style of life, but then also for the timing of God. How are you doing with that? Looking to God for his timing in your life too. I, I struggle with both of these. I'll be honest. I struggle with doing things according to God's way because, you know, I think Joe knows a lot sometimes. And I struggle with God's timing because God, he, sometimes God moves way faster than I want him to. But sometimes God, come on God, <laughs> I'm waiting here. We're not ready, but I'm waiting <laughs> It's a position of submission. And so as we see that he's living righteous and devout towards God, we see a life of submission. As we see he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's looking towards God expectantly, but he's still waiting on God. And the Holy Spirit is upon him. Note the and. This isn't a therefore. This isn't a therefore. And the Holy Spirit is upon him. And so this is the promise that we have as Christians. And so why do I bring up his lifestyle? Why do I bring up his patience? Well, why is the Holy Spirit upon him? Why does that matter? It's because these are ways by which we are trained in godliness. This is, this is what Christ is calling us to do too. To wait. To look. This is Trust. Now, it's important that the Holy Spirit was upon him because the Holy Spirit is in us. And so it's the Holy Spirit that takes these things and that he is using these things to mold us and to change us. He's using the times of waiting to mold us and to change us. He's using that, his word, to mold us and to change us and to make us more like Jesus. He's using his law. You know, uh, their great commission, what are you supposed to do? How do you make disciples? Baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey, to observe all that I have commanded you. Why does Christ want us to do that? It's to train us. This is what God is doing. This is one of the things God is doing. Simeon has been trained. He knows to listen. He knows. He understands God. He's been trained. He's humble before God. He's devoted to God. He's pure towards God. This isn't why he's saved. This isn't why the Holy Spirit's upon him. This isn't why, but as he trusts God, God has used these things in his life to train him, to bring him into the position and the place that God wants him. And so if there's things in your life that's going on and you know that they're going against the will of God, submit yourself to God. Allow the Word of God to train you, to guide you, to lead you. You know, this is what God is calling us to do, to walk in His ways. This is what it means to trust Him, to walk in His ways. Because if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit's upon you. And He's probably convicting you of something right now. If there's something going on in your life, you're saying, Yeah, boy, here, that that thing, that thing is something that I'm struggling with. 
you know, something just went through my mind. I'm not going to tell you it because I don't want to sidetrack it all. Now you're sitting there wondering what it was. But I'll probably use it in a further sermon. Um, <laughs> but that thing that the Holy Spirit convicts on, that's the thing we deal with. Joe, you're not doing that according to the will of God. Okay, Father. That's the Holy Spirit. Bringing it to mind. So what do you work on? That thing that the Holy Spirit just brought to mind. Secondly, we get Anna. Now, Anna's got a very different focus of training. This is just interesting to me. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And again, remember, writing is expensive, and so this is intentional. Luke didn't just accidentally add this in there. It's not like today when we can print off, I don't know how many thousands of pages we print off a week. Uh, it's just crazy. Well, maybe not a week, but a month now. You know, it's a totally different world. And so all of this writing is important. And so as Luke brings this in about the background of Anna, he's showing us she as well is pure in heart. She hasn't been distracted. She's not being distracted by all of these other things. She's not been married. She doesn't have a husband to distract her. She doesn't have a husband where she's got responsibilities towards him. Because would she have the right? Yeah, distract. Well, sometimes. Um, would she have the right to go and spend all of her time in her, in her house and just leave her husband to fend for himself? No. She wouldn't have that right. You can't say, well, my devotion to God has taken me away from my responsibilities. No. You can't do that. You know, because your devotion to God should make you do your responsibilities better. Because that's the will of God. That's what God tells us to. To do. I should finish that sentence, not just leave it hanging. And so, Anna here, she is, she is focused. She's not shirking any responsibilities. She's not shirking her duties. She's not letting them slide to the wayside in order to show off how righteous she is. She's not hardening her heart towards the thing that God has called her to in order to do what she wants to do. What she's doing is she's focusing herself on God. She's living in submission to God. She had all these opportunities, but she's focused. Anna's focused. She's disciplined. So what is her focus on? She spends all of her time in the temple. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Now, was she commanded to do this? No. Show me in Scripture where it says if you're a widow, you should never leave the temple. She's not commanded to do this. She probably had other opportunities. She probably could have gotten married again. Who knows? We don't know what God had, in, you know, what, what other opportunities God gave to her. But what she did is she chose a life of spiritual disciplines. And we've talked about spiritual disciplines. You know, worship is a spiritual discipline. Because sometimes it's hard to come and worship right? Sometimes you've got other things that you want to do. Sometimes your mind starts to wander and then to drive that back onto the point. That's a discipline. And we're called to be disciplining ourselves. These are spiritual disciplines. Fasting. How many of you practice fasting? Any of you? Some of you? Good. More of you should. <laughs> I do too. I practice fasting. It's a discipline. It's to train us. You know, does it make us more righteous and holy? 
No, but it does things to us in a spiritual realm. It does things to us emotionally. It does things to us intellectually. It changes our, it, it, change, it has changed my interaction with my desires. Fasting has changed my interaction with my desires. It's really been fascinating for me to watch how I've changed as I started practicing fasting more and more. You know, and so we, we practice these disciplines. And there's lots of disciplines. Prayer is a discipline. You know, to have a set prayer time where you discipline yourself to take that time to pray instead of just praying as you go. It's easy for me just to pray as I go. I pray as, you know, pray as I'm driving down the road or pray as I'm interacting with my children or, you know, like need comes up, I pray. Someone gives me a call, I pray. You know, but then to take that set time of disciplined, intentional prayer where we do those battles in the spiritual realm, to take those times to pray. To focus. We discipline ourselves to, to read, to journal, to not just do devotions, but to take time in reading the Word of God, to study the Word of God. That's a discipline. You know, and the, what does this do to us? It, it changes us. You know, and so we live according to the will of God. Well, how do we know what that is if we haven't been reading His Word? How do we apply that when we're not praying? So we're called to experience these spiritual disciplines because these are things of training. This is how we mature. This is how we grow. It really is. Does it make us more righteous before God? Does it earn us merit? No. These things, that's not how this works. We are righteous before God. But how do we learn to trust Him more? It's by dedicating ourselves to Him more and more. And so these things act in parallel. Obedience, righteousness, Simeon's way of training, and Anna's way of training exist in parallel with each other. They feed into each other. They build upon each other. They inform each other. And so then they grow. Because you know what? All of us need training. Even Jesus. You know, it's crazy. Crazy as I was reading through this. It, this always blows my mind. What would it look like if we were perfect? We would know everything then, right? No, that's not the way that worked. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. He grew. Think about that. Let that soak in for a moment. Jesus grew. The Son of God grew. This is physical growth. This is emotional growth. This is mental growth, intellectual growth, spiritual growth. These things happened to Jesus. He experienced these things. He didn't just come out of the womb and been like, all right, mom, you know that psalm? No. You know, oh, you're getting that proverb wrong there, Mary. No, he's not like that. Jesus grew. He started off not being able to talk and he learned how. Looking forward to the day when I learn how. But this was, you know, he grew. He developed. He experienced all of that. So what does it mean to be perfect? What does it mean to be sanctified? What does it mean to be righteous? Does it mean you're at a peak? No. Because even Jesus grew. Are we ever at a peak in this world? No. If Jesus grew, then we shouldn't be ashamed of growing. How many of you have room to grow? 
I hope everybody here. All right. You know what that means? Practice obeying the Lord. Practice spiritual disciplines because those are means of growth. The Lord's got growth for us. We've got opportunities and places. Oh, I'm not perfected yet. Duh. <laughs> Neither is anybody else. And he was filled. So the Holy Spirit was upon, I, I don't know how that works. It, it just blows my mind. The Holy Spirit was upon Jesus, filling him with the wisdom as he grew. And so he went from a place of not wisdom to a place of wisdom. Of not understanding to understanding. As he grew, those appropriate things happened. And they happened in their appropriate time. And he was built up. There's a passive, this is a passive thing. It's the Holy Spirit coming and filling him up. But it's also a continual thing. And so as he grew, he kept being filled and filled and filled and filled. You think about that. I think about that. And, and I see all the more my need to be trained. And I see your need to be trained and our need to be trained as a community that we might grow because as individuals we haven't reached a peak. Do you know that that means as a community we haven't reached a peak? That as the Christian church here in St. James we haven't reached a peak? That as a Christian church in America we haven't reached a peak? We're not at some top of anything. We need this training. We need this filling. We need this. The the Holy Spirit's got work for us to do and if we're going to do it we need to be trained. We need to be trained. We need to grow. We need to humble ourselves and say, you know what? I don't have this figured out yet. The way that mom and dad taught me to do that isn't necessarily right. It's not. How would the Holy Spirit have you do it? How does the Lord reveal himself? There's all sorts of things in my life that I struggle with. More of them come to mind. Man, Filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. That's that word grace again. And the grace of God was upon him. Charis. The blessing from God. And that's where we stand in God today. If you are trusting in God, that's where you stand. You stand in the grace of God. And so that promise is for you too. That the Holy Spirit is working on you. If you're trusting God, if you're looking to God, the Holy Spirit is on you, driving you to become more what God wants you to be. It's like, oh, but times are hard. Oh, but we have struggles. Oh, but we have difficulties. And God's saying, you think training's going to be easy? How many of you have ever been trained in something, in anything? Was it fun right away? Ken, when you first started being trained in baseball, was that easy? You have to actually put work into it. Sometimes things are hard. Sometimes family issues are hard. Sometimes interpersonal things are hard. Sometimes intellectual things are hard. Sometimes emotional things. Emotional things are always, almost always hard. Why? Because we're being trained. That doesn't mean that God is mad at you. That doesn't mean that God hates you. That doesn't mean that you're somehow some colossal failure and therefore things have to be harder than normal. No, this is just life. This is training. 
This is training. So Lisa, if you've got some runners that are able to walk off the training day jumping and skipping and laughing, did they train hard? No. And then Lisa would not be happy because they slacked. So anybody here worried that things might get hard in America? Is that okay? You know what God will be doing in the midst of that? He'll be training. So how do we interact with it? I'm going to live according to God's will. How God tells me to live in this world, that's how I'm going to live. I'm not going to live in lies. I'm not going to live in the depravity of our culture. I'm not going to live in those things. I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to participate in those things. And as the world pushes in on us, we can say, thank you, God, for an opportunity to be trained. Discipline myself. I'm not going to give in to the ease of the world. This doesn't mean that you need to live in a wool shirt all the time or sleep on a bed of nails or something ridiculous like that or throw yourself into a nettle patch. I was reading a, someone did that. I still can't believe that. But uh, trying to purge himself of his flesh, that's not what this means. These aren't the disciplines that God is calling us to. We live our lives according to the biblical disciplines that God reveals to us in his word. Fasting, prayer, writing, confession. Confession also, that's a discipline. That's not an easy thing. It's a discipline. Live our lives according to these things that we might be trained so that, so that, so that the glory of God might shine through us all the more. Because that's our place here in this world, right? It's not to get the most money as I can. It's not to have the biggest farm. It's not to have the biggest checkbook. It's not to have the most fame. It's not to have the easiest life possible. It's to reveal to this world that there's a God in heaven that cares. This is our place. This is our purpose. How do we get there? I'm sorry. You're going to have to be trained. And I'm going to have to be trained. So we walk through this together. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for training. We thank you that you love us enough to train us. May we love you enough to be trained. Lord, may you be glorified in our lives. May we be lights in this world. May we have joy when they have none. May we have peace when they have fear. Lord, may your glory shine when they're in darkness. Lord, this world might know you as we do and that we might know you better that's best. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.